0: Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the JRE Review, uh, joined this week by Todd, of course. Hey, uh, And uh, we're bringing in our buddy Aaron, uh, who is a former Special Forces guy. So we're going to talk some Jack Carr and also delve into James Reed's Chimp Empire, because after I watched that documentary, I was like, this seems like... A full-time military operation And Mm. I can't speak to it Mm. So let's go 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 enjoy the show oh james reed i did not know that he did the octopus teacher oh buddy my octopus teacher
2: that movie which they did not talk about but that movie i haven't seen the Chip movie yet you guys both watched it and we'll talk we'll delve into that but man the octopus teacher was also such an incredible movie
0: what did you like about it
2: Dude, this this gentleman, I can't think of his name. Is South African guy. Mm-hmm. Lived right on the ocean there, like near the Cape somewhere I think it was. I can't remember. I think it was on, on the Atlantic. He goes every single day. He dives down and he has no equipment. So he's using his breath. He can hold his he can hold his breath underwater for like 4 minutes or something crazy.
0: Now, was that because the scuba equipment scared the Octopus?
2: I think the sounds and the equipment and the bubbles and stuff for having scuba equipment just freaked him out, yeah. Fair enough. But it took this guy, I mean, months before the octopus would trust him. Mm. So he would go down there and see the same octopus all the time. Every day he would go for a year. He did it for a year, and they filmed every single day.
0: And they were best friends?
2: By the end of it, they were homies. Wow. Unreal.
0: What did the octopus teach him?
2: Well, you're going to have to watch the movie, but... I. I mean, what I learned from it. I mean, dude, I cried, okay? It's a freaking tearjerker. You would. It's a tearjerker. The octopus learned to trust this guy, and, you know, I didn't realize octopus, octopussies. (laughs) Octopies. Octopies. (laughs) Octopies are extremely smart, Mm. which I did not know. Yeah. Um, Extremely. Extremely smart. Mm -hmm. Not sure if they're any smarter than pigs. I don't know also heard pigs and dolphins are extremely smart either way dude they have this bond and they're friends and by the end of the movie this octopus trusts this human being so much that he's like hugging him they're like literally underwater like he's like laying on top of him wow it's unreal that's cool but let's get into the chimps
0: yeah so i mean you know he's like an animal documentarian Yeah. Loves it. Went over to the chimp thing. Of course, Rogan has to have him on immediately. Rogan talked about it twice, and I knew this guy was coming on as fast as you can imagine. And there he was. Right? I've watched the whole thing. I watched most of it yesterday. Um, it's, It's pretty powerful. Like, you have no idea. Like, the... I don't know. Just maybe the communication or like our lack of understanding of it there is so much going on with these guys
1: the depth of it i mean for me it was watching how similar they are to us and just being completely mind blown about their their mannerisms and the way that they move through the woods the way that they communicate together it's just it's almost hard to watch it's difficult to see how close they are to us and know that they're Just living in the woods, doing
0: these things. What was surprising to you about it in terms of like your military experience? I mean, you were a Green Beret, right? So I imagine when you watch this, and I'm just guessing, but when I was watching it, it didn't seem like a bunch of dudes hanging out, right? We live pretty different lives to even our own ancestors. And I was just like, oh, this this is like warfare.
1: Yeah, it is and i watched it i watched the whole docu series twice through because the first time i mean i couldn't catch it all but there were like maybe 10 moments where i stopped it rewound it and just was mind blown by the similarities of them living together in the woods basically patrolling like they're in combat all the time and so you know the special forces qualification course has a a section of the course that's called SUT small unit tactics. It's much like ranger school where you're with your element, you're with your squad and you're, you're moving through the woods tactically. You're setting up, you're in a patrol at all times. You're setting up raids, ambushes and you're living like you'd be living in war. And to watch these chimps do exactly what we do in the woods for, for small unit tactics and, you know, seven dash eight what they call it. Their tactics are so similar to ours. So,
0: so it was blowing your mind in the sense of like you, you would see something and you are like, "I, I know what this is."
1: Well, in my mind, monkeys just lived in the woods. Yeah, yeah, they, they live they just in the woods, from trees, and bananas. Take opportunities to get food. There is all these times where I am just like, "Yeah, they're, they're monkeys," but no. When I watched this, it was so, so evident that they're living in. They're living in like a small unit tactic military operation in the woods at all times. And they use hand and arm signals. They have an alpha that's like the squad leader. They have um, elements that essentially are expertise in, in, in whatever craft they uh, they're fulfilling within this patrol. And it was intense. There's one moment in the docu-series where they all get online to set up an ambush after a patrol. And there's another like rival chimp gang really close to them. They surreptitiously move in an element online and they, they get up and they listen. And you can tell that they're like concocting some sort of plan. They're, they're looking at each other. They're giving little hand and arm signals, gestures, um, facial expressions And then one of the monkeys gives the signal to go, which is the same symbol to go, signal to go that we use in the
0: woods. Or just like waves his arm forward.
1: Waves his arm forward. And when he does that, the rest of the monkeys, the rest of the chimps get online and they fucking move towards
0: this other rival gang.
1: And there's even a moment where the alpha chimp slaps one of the others on the back and they start screeching. And in my mind, they were like, let's fucking go. Let's do this. And it and made sense to you. It made total sense. And I was just right. I mean, yeah, my wife and I, we, you know, we saw it on Netflix, we threw it on, we thought it'd just be another nature-based documentary with some monkeys. No, dude, this is like 30 years in the making of like a an immersion process of these monkeys being used to humans and them. Understanding that they have the ability to come in, get really close and and integrate with them. I mean, I heard, I heard the podcast and James uh, Reed, Reed, he's like, yeah, they didn't even, they basically didn't even acknowledge us while we were there and they were so used to them that they just went about their business and they did 400 days of documentation in order to create what, like five or six episodes. Yeah, it, it blew my mind. And you know there were moments where I told my wife, like, "Holy shit, they are so similar to us in so many ways that it's that it's almost it's almost difficult to watch.
0: Do you think that for the second season, which they have to make, instead of so they were working with scientists, there were scientists out there, yeah, and they're theorizing shit scientifically as they do, <laughs> and then you've got, well, you know, they're like trying to figure out. Docu- they're, smart. they're smart. Yeah, people. they're just trying to be like, all right, this is what they do. This is how they do it, but we don't 100% know why. Now you've got the film crew there, and what James was alluding to is, th- you know, they're seeing things differently than the scientists yeah. because of the way the lens that they look through. I thought to myself, and I had a feeling that, you know, you being a military person would have like this different idea of yeah. like how this is going. I felt like. Wouldn't it be great if for the next season they had like military people out there, right? Yeah. That had that experience just to see if through that lens yeah, they could pick up on... Because there was just a lot through the conversation where they're like, oh, we don't really know why this is. We think this is this. The scientists are like kind of understanding, especially when it came to the attacking of other monkeys.
1: Well, that's the problem with building data is that You know, once you're seeing this for the first time up close and very intimate like they were, you're not looking at it through the lens of uh, military warfare. You're basically trying to break down the habits and the, you know, the interactions that these monkeys are having with each other. Yeah,
0: like an ecologist. Yeah,
1: and and I think uh, James made the point that, like, monkeys or scientists study monkeys in, like, zoos or, you know, one at a time but not in groups and not in like full on patrol mode and seeing how they operate each day to survive, to find food and to interact. And the one thing that was most fascinating was how they chose the alpha and how they interacted with each other. And, you know, I told my wife, I was like, man, that's like, that's exactly like warfare. Like there's probably one guy that has so much responsibility that he doesn't have time to do anything else. And it highlighted that with uh, a couple of the particular alphas that were in the in the groups is that the alphas did not groom other chimps, but other chimps were honored to groom him. And it's like, you know, you can look at that however you want. But like that dude's at the top of the food chain. He's got to make the decisions. He's got to make the moves. And he has to fight to be the alpha consistently all the time. So, so he, what, did, what so, did
0: they say? You got like maybe six years up there. Yeah. And eventually it's someone's going to beat the shit out of you. And it's
1: brutal. You're constantly you know, proving yourself to your tribe or to your, you know, to your little group there that you are the alpha. And then, dude, the most fascinating thing about that was when one of, one of the alphas was injured, the other chimps took an opportunity to knock him off mm-hmm. and, and, and move up the chain.
0: But he he hurt his hand, right? Yeah, he
1: hurt his hand. He had like a yeah, he had like a broken wrist or something, and they were like, Well, here it is. And they they took that opportunity to to move up and and challenge him. And that's happening all the time. And that's happening all the time in the military too. Not that we not that we like see a dude that's injured and, and, and move on to to try to take his position, but dude, it it's it's a process of finding out who has the ability who has the, you know, who has the balls to to be in that spot. You know, he was the squad lead. He was the team leader. And
0: yeah. ultimately it spoke to me like, you know, whether it seems brutal or not, it's like he's not as capable as he was. No. Right? No, and-, and, and if you feel more capable... Then take the lead. Well, and
1: the thing I thought about with that is, like, that's not happening in the corporate space. That's not happening at your 9-to-5 job where you're like, hey, man, that manager's kind of weak right now. I'm going to go fucking take his position, or I'm going to beat him down and show him that I'm more capable. That'd be mm-hmm. sweet, though. That doesn't we- do that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's I mean, go. kind of. Yeah. I mean, Jesus. We still do some pull-up competitions every once in a while. I mean, come on. But what I told my wife is that, you know, Those managers and that toxic leadership that exists in, you know, in the nine to five and the corporate space, they get to just sit in those positions and manipulate themselves and be lazy, manipulate other people. Mm -hmm. And there's no one there to knock them off their fucking pedestal. Mm. But in the chimp world, they do. Yeah. And so it's like, why don't we have a process (laughs) that allows for that? I mean, maybe not. You know, beating the dude up, but like, hey, this guy's not capable anymore. Is there any type of assessment that says, you know what, this guy's, you know, ill-equipped to lead people? Mm. Um, I've seen that nonstop in the '95. That's what that's what keeps me. That's what keeps me out of the workforce. Is that, you know, when you see a leader that doesn't have the the ability to lead people and doesn't show by example, you know, there is no real process. To say this guy doesn't belong here and being a green beret and like moving from the teams into the corporate space it's kind of hard to watch but i will say that the you know the similarities is that if you're on a special forces team and you got 11 guys we well, got 12 guys normally but if the team leader it starts to prove that he doesn't belong there or he's you know inefficient or is a, is toxic to the team I've seen it time and time again where the, the guys on the team, the enlisted folk, they assess that. They basically hold court and they say, listen, this guy doesn't belong here. And they pack his shit and put it in the hallway. So that's pretty wow. interesting. And that's what basically happens in these chimp tribes.
0: Right. Is you can't that, beat his ass. but no, you like, can't beat his ass. No but, good. but you Get can say,
1: hey, you know what, buddy? Um, we've all came together and we don't think you belong here. So it's time to find somebody new.
0: Mm. love that. Two two things I wanted to talk to you about uh, that also were big in the documentary. One there were the bigger apes, chimps. Yeah, they looked different. Right, didn't they? But but they weren't the alphas. Right. They were like they were just like patrol leaders and yeah. also like second to the alphas. So right. they made it a lot? Yeah. But they didn't have I guess the fear constantly of being taken over. They just kind of like hung out and did their thing and yeah. they were strong. Like, what is your take on that position? What is that? Well, that in,
1: exists in the military. I think it exists in the world in it general. Exists which everywhere, is, right? Yeah, it exists everywhere because it's like, man, I would imagine that they're somehow analyzing the complexity and the uh, immense responsibility that it takes to be in that position. And they're like, you know what? I'll be a teammate. And I'll do my thing, but I'm not getting my ass kicked every day. right? And so with people, I think, especially on teams, like you've got guys that have are, are naturally born or have this innate, you know, instinct to lead and to be in that hard spot. And they end up being the, on the top. But then there's a lot of guys that don't want to have that responsibility and they just want to show up and, and do their work.
0: And so, yeah, dude, I mean, it's, it's frightening. What did you think about the patrols right? yeah so these these apes were just constantly patrolling, yeah, they didn't talk a lot, so again, a lot of like hand signals and things, and they can't figure out their communication, which is weird, right, I not weird, like we can't understand any animals, but I mean it makes sense that they don't they don't see the value probably in any sort of language they can make noises, they well, make some I was even thinking about that it, it might be it might be more efficient to live that way.
1: Like, think about how loud we get in here. And, like, you can barely understand what Todd's saying because Adam's talking over him, and then Mm. I'm talking over you guys, and then I've got this idea in my head, and, like, it's kind of chaos. But if you're able to just, like, look over and say, hey, man, with a hand and arm signal or a uh, facial expression, that might be better. Mm. You know, I've led wilderness expeditions for years, and one thing that we do is, like, for one whole day, we don't even talk. It's silence. And so we move through the woods together. We set up camp, and nobody says anything. And the efficiency and just, like, the way that that – how smooth that runs, that's there's value to that. And so I, I told my wife when we were watching the documentary, maybe that's what they're doing. Maybe that's why they don't communicate. Mm. Uh, maybe they're, cool. They've they've evolved in a way that they understand. Well, they're also being tactically efficient, too. And so if they were loud and screeching and screaming and making all kind of noises, like the other tribes that are pretty close they are going to be able to hear them. Right. So, you know, they're living their life. And it's so interesting because like the mothers and the babies kind of stay behind. Right. And like, they're like, oh, shit. When when they start to see the males get all revved up and start getting crazy, they all kind of form together and say, all right, we better get the fuck out of the way because something's about to happen.
2: Mm mm-hmm. Mm hmm. I feel—I got to interject just for a minute because I have not seen the film, but the most interesting part of this whole uh, podcast for me was when they chatted about the—was it Pisker, the name of the— Yeah. Ugandan chimp that had whites in his eyes so uh-huh. it looked more human than chimp. Oh, that was good. Just because of the whites of the eyes, yeah. right? Was he a patroller? Was he a bigger chimp? Or was he just this kind of off, like, outlier? Well, what was interesting about him is I think he chose to patrol a
1: lot. Like, okay. he was, like, leading the charge mostly okay. but didn't have any, you
2: know, no aspirations to become the Alpha. Right, but he had he had mated more than the Alphas did. Yeah, they he said had He had more girlfriends.
1: Well, they said he spent more time building those relationships with those females in times where they weren't in heat. And so where the other monkeys or the other chimps would say, all right, you know, the women are ready to go. It's time to, it's time t- to, get time down. to make some babies. Um, this guy was like constantly building rapport. He was slipping into their DMs and just like, <laughs> he was making, yeah, he was making love to those chimps. Oh, like he, there was something different about go. him. Well, yeah. but
0: imagine it, you think of human beings that, you know, that have like, you know sparkling eyes I'd yeah. say like me. just like eyes that mm. communicate mm. right and people do communicate with their eyes a lot yeah you know and some people do it in a different way it's like you know you can just look at someone but also if you're in you're at a party and you can be with someone that is tall and obviously confident but doesn't speak a lot they're doing a lot of communicating in a different way yeah and you know. Having pretty eyes kind of does it. And his eyes were so different than the other chimps. It's like you could always see where he's looking, even from a distance. And, you know, you would imagine that sends signals. Well, we used to have this guy
1: on our team. We used to call him the Hawk because we'd go out to bars, and and he'd just sit in the corner and kind of be quiet. Oh, it works. And he would just watch things unfold and wait for opportunities. And so, like, we're... You know, most of the guys are just, like, jumping in with the girls or buying them drinks, and this guy would just sit and wait. Yeah. And then he'd be like, oh, that girl's by herself. I'm going to go talk to her. That's what Piska. that's what he was doing. Hmm. He, was, uh, he was playing his cards
0: right. He's mm. being
2: mysterious. Yeah. It I
0: works. think that this show, ultimately, if they go into two, maybe three seasons, they keep this going. Because they're so close to us, this didn't seem like a regular nature animal show. Mm-mm. To me, it was like telling us a lot about almost who we are. No, exactly. Um, and, you know, in a way that we're not thinking about.
1: Well, it, the most fascinating fact that they highlighted in the film was that these chimps are 99% of our genetics. Mm. 99%. But when you look at these things, buts. You're like, dude. I'm glad we evolved into like having these normal butts because it's just this like giant fucking weird Hemorrhoid. skin with all these lumps on it, and then there's just like an external butthole, and it's like, I'm glad we, uh, I'm glad we have the butts that we mm. do. But you don't,
2: you don't like the look of the of the chimp butt. Oh no, it's fucking disgusting. The monkey butts. Are gross. So I I wrote this down towards the end. They talk about how the real chimp, the real chimpanzee characters. There's real characters throughout the film did you guys feel like these yeah again coming from somebody who hasn't seen it yet there's there's like character development through chimps that aren't speaking you kind of know how they act and react and you, like, are well, rooting I, for them or not rooting for them. So or,
0: they, they throughout, they give the name, right? Okay. Yeah, and they, like, point to a new one, and eventually you start to remember.
2: You recognize. They yeah,
0: move they, different. Yeah, yeah. You can, you, you, s-
1: you can, you can kind of, like, uh, identify them after understanding what their name is and, and what their role is. That's and, cool.
0: But it, almost as soon as the name comes up. Once it's, like, one or two episodes in, you're like, oh, I'm, I know what they're going to kind of act like.
1: Yeah. Mm. You, you know what their archetype is. Are they the warrior? Are they the, you know, what, the magician? Are they the king? And you can just sit and watch them interact, and it is fascinating. That's cool. Yeah, and, and there's an elder in, in all these tribes. There's multiple elders, and that's the way, like, most indigenous tribes of people are set up, where there's, like, an elder that doesn't have to prove himself anymore. You know, he's already been there, done that. He might have been the alpha at one point. And one really, like, touching and, and pretty emotional um, part of the, the docuseries was one of the monkeys got injured during a patrol from the other chimps. He got injured bad. And so instead of him showing his weakness, he left the, the tribe. Mm. He moved on, and he wanted to go either heal or find a place to die. And, you know, you're sitting there watching this, and it's super sad. And you're like, dude, you could see the, like the monkeys dying. And the elder would come in and check on him. Hmm. And he was the only one that was allowed to be around him. And that was fascinating to wow. me. And, like, so that chimp in particular that got injured, he basically knew he was done. And they show him he builds a nest for himself to die in. Yeah. And then the elder comes in and puts leaves over him and, wow. and brush and wow. like almost has like a little ceremony for him as he passes on. Crazy. It's just like,
0: holy shit. They just held a like a funeral for him. Wow. A monkey funeral. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. So much it's more cool. complex. Can't wait to watch it. Dude, it's so good. So good. All right, let's jump over to Jack Carr and uh well, get into more military stuff, honestly. So, uh Jack Carr writes the, the books that ended up being The Terminal List, which is on Netflix uh with Chris Pratt. Great show. Uh real intense. Um special forces related stuff. He it's so interesting when these guys get out of the military and and you know, um have this like compulsion to write about it, too. Because I bet there's a lot of pressure on that, that where, um, I don't know, I feel, like, I feel like so many people have come out of the military that are special forces and want to write about it, and then they probably get a lot of pushback.
1: Mostly SEALs.
0: Right. So SEALs like to do it. Mm. Now, is there a thing about that that you don't care for?
1: Yeah, oh. There's a stigma. For sure. And listen, I have a ton of SEAL buddies and we joke around about this all the time. But um, a guy came into my shop one day and he told me it was a SEAL and I asked him when he was going to write his book just because it's a, it's a pretty <laughs> normal thing. And, um, you know, for whatever reason, their culture has kind of set them up for it. You know, they've made a bunch of movies like Zero Dark Thirty. They've made a video game about a, a SEAL team and the SEALs have just been in the spotlight much more than like the special forces or other Mm. special operations units. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's part of their culture and there's guys that are completely against it in the seal community. And, uh, yeah, as a community, as a special operations community, we kind of give them shit for it because essentially they're, you know, they're taking these missions and writing stories and divulging a lot of information, but you know, some of it can be good. Some of it can be inspirational. Um, you know, there's plenty I've I've read plenty of books from SEALs that were great. Um but some people do have a biased opinion for
2: sure.
0: But I get what you're saying. And also it's fun to make fun of people. It is. Yeah. So it's it's fun to do that. But like as a layman, Todd. Goggins. Like a blessing. <laughs> but as a layman, isn't it fun? Like, isn't it great that we get to hear these stories? Like, so many of these movies were written by Hollywood directors yeah. in yeah. the past. And don't get me wrong, they were great, Rambo. I don't think they had a lot of Special Forces, you know, consultation and that. But, it, you know, we enjoyed it. Saving and also... Private
2: Ryan. Save it, Prime Ryan. Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> Saving Ryan's Let's go private. go for a third time there. Yeah. That was a good one. I, I don't think like, that was written by a SEAL.
0: No, but I feel like they would have had a lot of military... Because that was very close to... I mean, you know, people would watch that and feel very affected by it. Well, yeah. Lo-
1: Lone Survivor was the big one that, like, kind of broke through and a lot of people read and, and, you know, it was a very inspiring book. And so that was the story of Marcus Luttrell and his SEAL team that went out on patrol, um, basically were compromised and the mission turned upside down. You know, all of them died except for Marcus Luttrell who ended up in a village in Afghanistan. And, you know, I have buddies that went in and basically saved his ass that were on the Ranger teams. But wow, yeah, I mean, it was, um, it was a part it was it was a time in the war where you know no one really knew what was going on for these missions and so you know they definitely highlighted the reality of what it's like to be in combat in small unit teams in Afghanistan and Iraq so but yeah that was like kind of the big one i think that first came out that people really paid attention to and then it just kind of became the norm for guys to get out and, and write books
0: but but there's value to it too to some degree, right? As oh, long as, I guess I guess 100%. the stigma is like, oh, you're just doing this for money. But then well, there can be a combination.
1: Andy, like, you know Andy Stump, he's been on the Rogan podcast yeah. a bunch. He lives yeah, squirrel suit. Yeah, he li- yeah, he's a squirrel suit guy. He lives up in Whitefish, and I think he said on a Rogan podcast that he's like picked up books in a library, and he's read about missions that he was on, and he's like, I don't even know this guy, <laughs> you know? So like. It's interesting.
0: Mm, so they embellish?
1: Mm, maybe.
2: Well, it's Hollywood, dude. Yeah. And writing a book, you have well, to embellish
0: something. There, there's
1: a lot of controversy and That's politics behind The Lone Survivor. And in, or no, sorry, not Lone Survivor, um, the Chris Kyle book. So, like, there is a chapter or a scene in the book where Jesse Ventura gets involved. And apparently, Jesse Ventura is in a bar and, like, knocks out Chris Kyle. And like, love Jesse Ventura. And Jesse Ventura maintains that that never happened. Mm. And there's speculation that, like, the publicist for Chris Kyle and his foundation basically just threw that in the book. And I don't know if that's true or not. I don't really care. But, you know, it is the
2: nuance of all. Well, this. think about it. You're talking about it right now. So it worked. Good job, publicist. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Hello. you got to get, I mean, bad news is good news. Infamous, you know, it makes people infamous when you make something up. It, it reminds me of when Playboy, I to this day, you probably never get an answer from Cooper Hefner, which is he's yeah. the son of Hugh. When they went in and said, we're not going to show boobs anymore yeah. or full frontal in Playboy, and everyone was talking about it. It was in the news for weeks and months, yeah. and then they came out with this first issue, and there was no titties. And then all of a sudden, everyone's in an uproar. Still, everyone's talking about it. Everyone's still buying it because it's all over the news. And then, what yeah. is it like? Two months later, they start showing titties again. Yeah, it's, fucking brilliant idea. Yeah,
1: it's it's like a juxtaposition because it's like, all right, what you're saying is true, and like you're trying to sit back and go, okay, I'm relying for this information to be solid and, and, right. and accurate. So, yeah, and it goes back to like, hey, you know what? You believe what you want to believe, but also know that, like, the truth may not be the truth. Right.
0: I feel like, I feel like a story, look, stand-up comedians make things up, right? Yeah. yeah. They do, and it's it's like the one place where a lie is not that important. Has to fit the it's narrative. About how the good joke. the story is. Yeah. But the joke is the joke. What you're going for is laughter, mm-hmm. right? So you can say it was you. I went into a bar and this happened to me. Or I'll
1: Sometimes look. the story is better that way.
0: However, I feel like really you're going to have enough stories if yeah. you do those sorts of crazy military things and you can lean on that. Yeah. Like like Oh yeah, if you get five,
1: you know, veterans in a room and tar- start telling stories, there's bound to be a story that a guy kind of adopts on his own and and kind of recreates. It's just a thing, right. especially when you add booze and like it's just fun. And you know, I may have been fucking victim of it myself, but yeah, it's uh there's a lot of cool stories that come from the military that are unlike anything that you're going to experience in the civilian world and they're fun to tell. I mean, they really are.
2: Yeah. I like well, it. Well, or or you I mean, that reminded me when you when you're speaking to comedians Adam. It's like Burt Kreischer the machine story. You know that's real. There's no way. I mean, he might have embellished a small amount, but I don't think he did. I, I really don't. It well, I feels like he really did that true. Yeah. I I think right? what he
0: did is he took a real story and he worked it on stage. And it doesn't mean that he um, Embellished. necessarily made things up, yeah. but he lent on the bits that really connected, so he emphasized those. And yeah. that's, that's really what I mean. I mean, y- you know, it, I'm sure anyone in the special forces has a lot of crazy stories that are probably really difficult to retell or relive. And if you look at it through the lens, of not just a stand-up but, like, a, as a writer, you can turn up the bits that really are going to connect with people and keep it really true to what it was and and maximize the hell out of it. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, it's way more interesting than most people's lives.
1: Well, and the other part that's, I think, really crucial to talk about is that if you take ten people and put them on a combat mission, and then you get them in a room two weeks later, everybody's going to have a completely different perspective of what actually happened. That's a good point. Uh, they, they've they talked about that in psychology with, like, car wrecks. You know, it's like you take the, the victim of one vehicle and you take the victim of, of another. Like, they may really believe what they're saying right. was yep. true. Eyewitness
0: now, testimony is mostly bullshit. I was going to say bullshit. that. I was going to yeah. say eyewitness testimony is It's such all over the bullshit. place. It's because such bullshit. You,
1: you, I think people will certainly just live out or have in their brain what they want to happen and what they want to say happen and so it's really interesting how the human brain works with that
2: especially if you get somebody on camera or if you get somebody who's writing a book and they want it to you know be better well that's why you have like fact checking right like
1: this fact checking like I don't know if you guys have listened to or uh, read Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey, but, like, people are really giving him a lot of shit right now because they're like, none of those stories are true. Hmm. I mean, they're pretty outlandish, but, like, I don't know. When I listened to it, I was like, dude, they're fucking hilarious, and they're fun, and, like, I loved hearing the stories. So who knows yeah. if they're true? He, he told one story about his dad. He you had know, this, like, parakeet, and uh, parakeet died in the toilet, drowned. And his dad came home and, like, put the bird's head in his mouth and gave him mouth-to-mouth, and the parakeet came back to life. Oh, boy. And it's like, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, did that happen? It was fun to talk about, you know? Yeah. But,
0: yeah. yeah. What do we know about birds? Maybe they can be kind of dead in water for a while. Yeah, maybe they were sleeping. I like to believe that Matthew McConaughey tells the truth. Yeah. you know, He's that cool. His
2: ability to tell stories and... Just how cool he is. I just want to believe him. <laughs> yeah. I agree. But that, that does bring up a point. They they started talking about chat GPT four and what happens when mm. you get chat GPT five and six and seven. And no, you how it. you could I mean, look at I'm looking at both of you guys. You got a little smirk on your face because we've all used Chat GPT and it's fucking amazing. No. It's fun. It's great. So I don't know how to once use it. we get to version five, six and seven, at the very least. And Joe mentioned this, it's great scaffolding to start from as yeah. a as a writer. Like, yeah. so if James wants to or Jack, sorry, if if Carr wants to write something and he's a little bit stuck, they, there's already people who are who are putting into chat GBT four what's the next Jack Carr book gonna how's it gonna start? Right. Because already people are doing this.
0: It could save him a lot of time. Yeah. Someone anyway. might even
2: write it for him.
0: If yeah. ultimately if well but he You have
2: ghostwriters for a reason. Now it's just ChatGPT 5, 6 and 7. Yeah, he I'm pretty sure writer. he's
0: already been the ghostwriter for um Tom Clancy books and right. he got to meet him, mm. right? And Tom Clancy was like I like your style. I'm getting old. No, that was a different guy. That was a different Well, guy. okay. So, yeah, who was that writer? Do you was, remember? Oh god.
2: John Grisham. He was on No, he was on a few yeah, months yeah. ago. Fuck. Can't think of his name. I get it mixed up. Different but, guy.
0: But like Take that for example, Doctor right? Zeus. So so he goes on, he's ghostwriting for him yeah. because you know Tom Clancy is like, I, you know, I'm getting old, I need to chill, and, but you like my style well, and you can dead. come in and do that as well, no. but not but his when they wife, his
2: wife asked him to do it, right? And then had him in, oh, over to their house. And it, but
0: it was before Clancy was dead. Right, they right, worked right. Well, together for and, a while. And I think,
1: I, I, I don't know if I'm 100% on this, but I believe most Tom Clancy books are ghost written by other people. I'm pretty Don't sure. Know. I'm no, pretty sure. sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he wrote a few, but I think they used his name and brand in w- like, you know, eighty out of a hundred
2: books are, are okay ghostwritten. Aaron, Aaron, we're we're going to need you to fact check Conspiracy over there. Conspiracy theory. <laughs> okay. All right.
0: Okay. But but <laughs> here's here's why I'm not disbelieving that right now. Is it that it was pretty close to like military stuff that he wouldn't have known about, and you were picking up on that, Aaron? Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I'm looking that up right now. All right, we're gonna look that All up. All right,
2: well, can we can we turn but, over? But, the, it,
0: but in the same in the same sense of what it is, it's like, well, why not? Ultimately, we want the best book. Yeah. I think they want to make the best book. Of course, they're already using computers and spell check and whatever. It's like, how? Well, then, at what point is it not you anymore?
2: Well, Clancy could still go in and edit the piss out of it. I mean, yeah. look, I art direct. I get. I like to have designers get it to about seventy percent. Right, that's great scaffolding to start from. Then I go in and fix it. That's what professionals do. I mean, look at uh, in the art world. You look at, um, oh gosh, uh, Andy Warhol. Okay, Mm. He would have people making all of his art for him. By the end of it, they were were doing all of his screen prints for him. He was just coming up with the idea, and then everyone else was making his art for him.
0: Yeah. That's
2: how professionals do it.
0: That's how you can do it.
2: If you want to make the moolah. But can we can we start on the Miller can we just go back to the very beginning the Miller Lite ad I got to point this out Yeah because I I'm just where gonna, where
0: are we going with this?
2: Well I'm going to throw this out there. But I don't give a I I really don't care about the Bud Light thing. I think it's silly. I think it's a waste of time to talk about if Bud Light wants to put a trans person on their can whatever. Again, this goes back to the Playboy thing. Everyone is talking about Bud Light now. Good for them. It worked.
0: No, their sales are down, like, 25%, Okay, bro. so
2: maybe it didn't work.
0: So they had a good idea to, like, People come in and be like, yeah, we
2: we, fu- we fucked up, right? <laughs> what, yeah. what did they say? They pointed out they should just have the guy in the hangover, whereas the next morning he's like, honey, we, we fucked up, bad. <laughs> like, yeah.
0: we're sorry. If that was that next commercial, it, they could come back. That's what Jack 100%. said. 100%. That's what Jack said. Yeah, 100%. Like they, they could come but back. But
2: now you have Miller Lite doing this ad, which... Yeah, I didn't agree with at all. No. And the whole compost thing. If you watch the ad, they're talking about how women were the first ones to make beer. I don't know if that's true. Don't care. That's awesome if they were. They're smarter than men, so I get it. They probably were. But then we took all the fucking
0: you know, well, kudos we drank for it. it all.
2: And we drank it all. Um But now they're gonna take old ads of Miller Light and they're gonna they're gonna turn it into compost. And you got all these we were joking about this earlier, like you're gonna turn old newspaper ads and Ads from magazines into compost. You got all this fucking ink on the paper, and it's like all these toxic. Chemicals. Yeah, like no they're gonna turn that into compost to make better fucking hops. They're gonna burn that shit. You can't. that is the biggest greenwashing campaign. It just pissed me off.
0: Oh, why I feel bad for hot chicks? Are we <laughs> hating on hot chicks? Well,
2: again, it's it's like the Sports Illustrated. They're thing.
0: people too, Todd.
2: It, well, uh, uh, let me go come back to my point. Contra- and I don't even know if I have a point here, other than it, it's upsetting to think that yeah that there's nothing wrong with looking good in a bikini I, and there's nothing wrong with you know being a a bigger woman who maybe most people don't think looks as good in a bikini i don't know it depends on your preference some people like big butts i'm not a big butt guy whatever to each their own but don't sit here and make me feel bad for liking hot women in, in a bikini is what i'm go is what i'm getting after does that make me an asshole yes it does? Okay. <laughs> no. But, like, I don't want to see Martha Stewart on fucking Sports Illustrated. Sorry. Who wants to see that? Yeah. A bunch of old women are like, yeah, powerful. That's so great. Sorry. Cool. I, I don't care. It's Sports Illustrated. It's a technique. It's Sports Illustrated.
0: They're trying things out, and, and I don't and not, think it's going to work.
2: And I'm not trying to be Jordan Peterson, because I know you got a bunch of shit for this. I think it's beautiful to show a heavier set woman... In a bikini, fine. I'm not going to buy that magazine, but fine. If that empowers women, that's great. And I like, I just look at it this way don't make other people feel better. Like, what about all the women that were in those ads who had a great time, who looked hot in bikinis, and were getting paid a shit ton of money by Miller Lite to be in their ads and were fucking stoked? Yeah. We're going to sit here and say, fuck those women? Because that's it, when I'm r- seeing this ad, I'm thinking to myself, there's some 70 year old who was in that Miller light ad who looked damn good in a bikini in the eighties. And is like, fuck these bitches. Yeah. I looked good in the eighties. Like, give me a break. Yeah, I was getting paid. Well, I was drinking Miller light.
1: Well, my big thing is, you know, okay, like that was I us. Just don't get it. That was us. That was our culture. Sure. It may be time to move on. Okay. It, okay. But don't, but don't, don't fill it full of this shame. This and thing. This, this woke bullshit. And you know, They've just gone overboard.
2: You're right. It's a shaming thing. That's it's a what I shaming.
1: Mean. It's a shaming campaign.
2: So now these women who looked g- good in bikinis in the 80s and were having fun and getting paid are now supposed to feel bad. Well,
1: here's what I say: is if if that's not what's supposed to happen, then then don't get in those ads right now. Don't, yeah. Don't get in a bikini and take your picture and and, and, a, and attach it to a beer.
2: Right. I just. I guess I just don't understand. Maybe I'm just old. You know, I'm in my 40s now, but you know, I met my. Wife on a photo shoot for an ad. Okay, she looked great in a bikini; still does. Okay, I and friends of ours looked at that and and were like, "I felt like she was getting shamed for it." If she, if she, she was, she was getting shamed for it by other women, being like, "Oh my god, I can't believe she did that." We went out. She got paid to do an ad. She was a model. She was getting paid to do this ad that I was directing for the magazine. We met and you know, got married fucking three years later or whatever. But we met on that photo shoot and she was just having fun with there was three other girls in the ad, they were all having fun, they were getting paid well. It's not like we're not paying these people.
1: Well, so this this ties into a conversation. This
2: is a thing that's very close to my heart because Mm. I've been in these advertising deals before where we're taking photos for magazines and it sells. They were getting paid. They were having fun. They wanted to do it. Yeah. So my
1: wife and I were having this conversation the other night. So I've been on this like fitness journey where I look good with my shirt off now. And there's a long baby. (laughs) There was a long time where I didn't, and I'm I'm fucking proud of that.
0: Yeah. And so I've
1: had people come up to me, bars, restaurants, public, and say, "Damn, you've been doing a lot of work. You've been you've been like on this wellness journey." And, you know, my wife said, "Yeah, it's just not kosher anymore to." um compliment people on, on their on their physique. I don't get and it. And I said, "What?" I said, I "It's so it. validating for someone to come up to me and say, "Hey man, you've been working out. Like you look good." And the narrative now, apparently, is that saying that infers that you looked bad before and it's uh Right, it's, it's a, not
2: fair to the people that that still maybe be overweight. It's not or, fair to the
1: people who haven't put all the work in to look good with their shirt off or in a bikini, and I just don't understand it.
2: I don't get it either. It's like don't trust a skinny cook, okay? Yeah, it, there's some there's something there. It's like if you, you know, don't trust a doctor who eats shitty food and is overweight. Yeah, it doesn't And make is any telling sense. you how to do things. I, I think they actually brought this up in the conversation. Um, about psychiatrists, you know, a lot of people being coaches, and you're a coach, yeah. so you get it, but you live by, you know, a set of rules and standards for yourself. You go to the gym every day. I want to be coached by somebody like that. Yeah. I don't want to be coached by someone who's always nervous and always anxious. I know a lot of people out there who pretend to be coaches who have about zero self-esteem. I don't want to be those no. I don't want to be those people's mentors.
1: No, and it's like as I start my organization which is action oriented, right? So if I have a, a company called action oriented and I have a picture of me and I'm a fat ass on my website, do you yeah. think people are going to come do no. my retreats? Do you think people are going to trust me to take them into the woods right. for multi-day experiences? No. and and, and I've worked really hard and Adam and I have talked about this before it's what everyone wants and that's why it sells sex sells you know bikinis sell people with their shirts off sell because when people look at them that's what they want for themselves and for people that put the work in
2: like celebrate that yeah you should celebrate and I'm not saying it's right or wrong you don't have to
1: objectify women or objectify men to celebrate it and say oh wow dude that person is really disciplined yeah
0: Yeah, I mean, if the question is the people that don't look as good, that struggle with their body, feel picked on or left out or whatever, it should be, well, let's find a new way to encourage them to feel better about themselves in the hope that, you know, maybe they can just feel good to go on a beach. You know, don't pick on them. Yeah, Leave them to be. But we can't pretend that being healthy and putting the work in And being in really good shape. I mean, look, genetics is a part of it, but a lot of it is just hard work.
1: Well, what about like these girls that are making like six figures on Instagram just showing their bodies? Like, that's an interesting topic. Like, all
2: right, I don't think we should get into that one, but. Well, it's a thing. It's an interesting topic. (laughs) It's
0: an interesting topic. (laughs) They make a lot of money.
2: They make a lot of money. Beauty is always sold.
0: This is just a new way to sell it.
2: Beauty is in the hype. in the eye of the beholder. Okay? Bullshit. Dude,
0: it is. is. It is, dude. They can scientifically prove like it's symmetry. It's like dimensions hey. of space between eyes and lips I, and all the rest I get of it. it. I get and it. then with men, it's just being rich.
2: What I'm, what I'm, I guess. I, my the final thing I'll say here is <laughs> by 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 doing a Miller Lite ad where you're taking old ads of women in bikinis who you know again got paid well had fun doing it probably whatever they were models issues, yeah. it was great it was the 80s they were into it and you're you're tearing these up that's you're literally doing the same thing that you are saying that you're getting made fun of for in the first place well we're
1: also erasing history too it's it's the same thing as it's getting rid of all, of all these statues of all these confederate you're erasing history and you're canceling culture in hopes that like Somehow we will wake up to this like bigger and better and more. It's you not know. helping
2: anybody. No, it's not helping
1: anybody. You can't delete culture. You can't delete history in hopes that there will
2: be. Change. We can learn from it. Yeah, but let's. Yeah, let's it's su-
0: okay that history existed, and look at it how you want to.
2: Let's move uh, over to Jelly Roll.
0: Um, no? I think I think we're probably done for the day.
2: No, no, no. We got we got ten minutes to talk about Jelly. No,
0: I do like Jelly
2: because he's freaking awesome. Let's put you him know? in. Let me That's let me just that. go. Let me go through a few things here because Jelly Roll, I did not realize this right, man this was going
0: on my overtime paycheck. Was though.
2: incarcerated for six years. He, what he armed robbery. He said he's like before I even had pubes, I was holding a gun and
0: Bless basically
2: it. got talked into it. He's
0: Sixteen a, to what twenty? Sixteen something? to twenty.
2: He had a he had a girlfriend that had a kid while he was in jail. Now now he's with his new. Wife, who now they have custody of this child, uh, girl who's now what, like fifteen or something, thirteen. Mm-hmm. Anyway, inspiring story. I I really enjoyed him, you know, getting really emotional. Both him and Joe cried on the podcast.
0: Yeah, well, he cried out so as his mother.
2: Just just for that alone, it was it was worth yeah. the emotional, you know, turmoil that you could see was happening through. You know what, he experienced his mother was clearly depressed or had bipolar or something while he was growing up, sat in her room all day. And then when she turned on the music, it changed the whole house. So he was pulling
1: out the positive parts of his upbringing. Um, and overcoming certain things by saying, you know what, my mom had this depression, and what I remember, the gold or the silver lining in that is that I remember when she turned on music, it lit the place up, and it changed the energy, and that's why I'm connected to music, and that's that's why I want to put things out
2: there. And and also, that is why he is using music to also help all these juvenile kids, and putting all this money towards what did he say when he when he when he does a show in tennessee underprivileged youth he puts all of the money that he makes off of that one show yep. into these juvenile homes
0: and at, he has joey diaz jokes open for his show he yeah. has oh, comedians right, 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 right. like that are very close to rogan yeah. you know he had doug stanhope for a long time yeah. do a joke and Doug didn't even know about it. He just took a joke yeah. that he liked, and that opened his show. Yeah. And it was just, like, some wild shit that Doug did. Now yeah. he has Joey Diaz, who is, like... Are you familiar with oh, Joey? Yeah. yeah. Shining example of what these kids should be... Uh, He's a driving. national treasure. A national treasure. So the fact that he has that joke on there... I mean, obviously, Jelly has been connected to this, like, comedy world in his own way. But, you know... Hearing when when he was crying about his mom and like how she wouldn't get out of bed and it was just all this pain, but there were these these tiny moments. I like as a kid, connecting with your parents, even if you have lunatic ones, it's like that you you just want to be loved by them, yeah. right? You want to be their best friend, yeah. Like in a way, yeah. And and to have those tiny moments that that speak to you, and then of course he went down that road. It's like this is the only thing that connected with me. The and, it's, music. and its reality, too. So beautiful. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, that it was a powerful one. And, you know, I had never heard a Jelly Roll before, I'm not going to lie. I didn't know who he was. I had never I, heard I'd of actually
0: him. heard some of his music when I listened to it, but I didn't know anything about his name. I could have never connected it. Yeah, so same here. Weird Great songs.
2: Weird coincidence. On the way to work this morning, there was an interview on 96.7, which I think is out of New York, but it's a, a Bozeman radio station. They play... The, you know, an hour of this dude every day. It's like somebody in the morning, Tom in the morning. Anyway, Jelly, Ro- Jelly Roll was on the show this morning. And no they, shit. They played his newest song. As I'm driving to work, I'm literally like Fuck still yeah. listening to yeah. the podcast, and my kid was in the back seat, so I didn't have the, the... I wasn't listening to the podcast. I was just listening to the radio, and Jelly Roll was on. Dude. And so that was a weird coincidence, but I got to say wasn't a huge fan of the country song that that came out. Maybe it'll grow on me. I don't know. He seems like more of a hip hop artist. You're not much of a bumpkin anyway. I know. I like dude, I love Waylon Jennings. Okay. I fucking love Dale, David Allen Cole. It's a different style of I country. I love Merle Haggard. I love Johnny Cash. Dude, he has I some bangas, love though. old country. The outlaw country. I yeah. love outlaw country and and clearly Jelly Roll was is super inspired by outlaw country. So, I'm sure I'm going to like The album, but the one song... You know, they always pick the one song that's kind of cheesy and poppy. Yeah. You know, and it was talking about him praying and how he's not a prayer he doesn't pray much. It was just a little too churchy country for me.
1: What often happens is that an artist puts together, you know, like he said, he wrote like a hundred songs. And for whatever reason the producer says... one year, too. Yeah, the producer says, this is the one that we have to highlight, and you don't really get to know much about their music or who they are. Um, And I find myself doing this. If I know someone or if I have a connection to someone and then I hear their music, it makes me appreciate it more. Yeah. So I went... I did a a wilderness expedition with Jason Mraz. I knew who he was. I'd listened to his music. It was very poppy. You know, it wasn't my style. Yeah. And, like... He, in his head, wrote a song about the expedition, and, like, he weaved in everyone's lives into the song. That's and cool. then we sat on the last day, listened to him play the guitar and sing the song and, like, little bits and pieces about every single guy's story. And I was, like, in tears. Like, dude, that's really... There's a lot of depth to that, yeah. And then I started listening to more of his music that was outside of the norm, and, and I like, liked it. Yeah, I, I, I knew his character. I knew who he was. He he lit me up by his you know his complexity and, yeah. and his depth. So I think there's something to that. And it's like I've heard people come on the Rogan podcast that I didn't know, and now that I hear them, I'm like, oh, I know a little bit about their lives. There's yeah. a connection there.
2: No, absolutely, and and again, I'm gonna I'm gonna go onto Spotify and I'm gonna listen to Jelly Roll because great guy. I mean, just super, just powerful, huge heart, authentic, authentic dude. I mean, clearly doesn't give a fuck about what people think of him or. No, he's
1: got tattoos on his face. Yeah,
2: I mean, you gotta love people with tats on their face. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's going it's all just in. Great, yeah. it's just great. Yeah. You just you know. Um, and I will say there was one, there was one yeah, thing
0: that's, to, that's $20,000 on red. <laughs> yeah. no, that's one, what that is. One
2: last thing to mention, which I was interesting if we're talking about other country artists, that he was saying how Zach Bryan uh, had 700 million streams while oh he was still God. in the military. Yeah. He was just like still, yeah. you know, in the Marines and he's getting 700 million streams and, yeah. and, and he was the second. Uh, I think Taylor Swift was the one, the the person in front oh, of God. him, and then it was Zach Bryant. I mean, come on! And the guy was still in the military. Yeah, it's like getting that paid. That is the beauty of, and they talk about it quite a bit about, you know, how he got on board with Spotify and all of his, you know, his publisher and publicist or whatever was saying, oh, we got to get some more CDs into Walmart or wherever. Or, All these places, he's like, "Fuck that! Not if CDs are going away. We got to figure out what's next." And I think it's
0: great that these artists are getting away from these record labels that are just trying to control them. You don't need them anymore, dude. This is what happened to Tupac. You know, they they get locked into these. these I love how you're
2: bringing it back to Tupac right now. Like like Tupac, what happened with Tupac?
0: Tupac had one of the worst record deals ever. They controlled his life. I thought he was he, on death row. He only was making money when he was... Or no, um, death
2: row shot him. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Yeah, the they hated him. Yeah, sorry, was his, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, wasn't was good.
0: Yeah. Wasn't good. But like these early guys were getting locked in and they were making zero money. Like, you know, even Jelly talked about it. 90-10 deals. Right. Where they're like right, right. owing forever. Yeah. You have know? You, have you guys uh, remember seen the-, the Remember the Jewel? Yeah, um, that was a great podcast, an amazing podcast, and that how made me enjoy her, her music. Yeah. The fact that she basically lived in a car and yeah. turned down a million dollars, she was dollars. great. Yeah. Like, but that, but that speaks. Gotta to love it, comedians. Right? It's like, it's like something doesn't like they're creative people, and they got there by following yeah. their heart, following their like weird way of being, like what feels real to me, what mm. speaks to me, what is talking yeah. to me, in my gut, and also somebody gives you a million. It's, yeah. like, too good to be true. Yeah. And it probably is. It's great. Have, have you guys seen else?
1: the documentary Finding Sugarman? No. So it's about this guy named Rodriguez. Mm. And he's, like, very similar to uh, Bob Dylan in mm. his music. And he got a record label, I believe, with, like, Columbia. And he sold seven records in the United States. Mm. Went back to being, like, a politician and, like, a woodworker. And, like, lived in, like, a shitty apartment in Detroit. Meanwhile his record somehow made it over to South Africa. And this is like during apartheid and all this like, you know, unrest in South Africa. And he sold like 17 million records over there and he didn't even know it. Whoa. He had no idea, but his music and like what he was, you know, portraying in his, in his music connected to the people of South Africa. Mm. And this guy did a research project on him and he, he wanted to find him. And so he reached out to his daughter and like there was just all these weird conspiracies that he had died or lit himself on fire on stage. It was all these like really weird things. And when he met with his daughter, he's like, yeah, I wish I would have got to know him when he was alive. And she's like, yeah, he lives like two blocks down. And he mm. went and told him how, po- he goes, you're more popular than
2: Elvis. And he didn't know? Was in Columbia South- just taking the music or taking all the money? No, Columbia
1: just like didn't promote him in the right way or whatever. And mm. people didn't connect with him in the first like whatever iteration of his record. But like he became a superstar
2: and then he went oh. on tour in South Africa. Cool. And he's like a superstar. Awesome. It's awesome.
1: It's a pretty
0: cool documentary.
2: Love mm. it. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stream some Jelly Roll tonight. What up? Because he is that. a good man. I, th- I heard he's coming to Bozeman, actually.
0: Dude, let's go watch it. He'd yeah. be great for we the man. Bozeman. We yeah. gotta go. All right. Well, on that note, thanks a lot, fuckers. Yeah. Great appreciate to be here.
2: Good to, good to have you, Aaron. Yeah.
0: And audience, we appreciate you, too. Peace out. We will talk to you next week. Love you. Lots of love. <laughs>